system he always wanted to use the two year older one yes because it was more new, stable the, with the right. software exactly <coughs> and and you know i've had nothing but problems for the last few weeks with this apple computer and that's where all the problems are coming from the computer like the board works fine mm. wait are we assuming gonna, uh, you press the record button then right. it works fine then it works fine are we videotaping this yeah maybe not the whole thing with a film camera because i have to use this then we should use a film camera oh like a real, yeah, real to real. You got to give me a little advance notice uh, <laughs> so I can work that up. Because I got to do, I got to mess with the lighting, and it's a, it's a thing. Well, now that now that I'm a lizard daddy, um, I'm like, <laughs> is that what the girls I'm, call you? I'm a lizard. I mean, before when I was down here in Castle Grayskull Studios, I had no interest whatsoever in these terrariums. <laughs> but now, now that I am a lizard daddy, yeah, um, I'm very interested, and I'm just kind of trying to look at your lizards and compare. I'm getting lizard envy. <laughs> I'm getting lizard envy, and uh, you have a beautiful lizard. Uh, what is he? Uh, a, He's leopard. a leopard gecko. We have two of them, and they each have a forty-gallon tank to uh, themselves. Wait, and uh, the other one, I have to admit, I've never seen. And I sort of get. Did you ever go to the uh, the zoo or one of these rep? Tillionariums or whatever, and there's always a giant terrarium, and there's nothing in it, but there is, and you can never. So that's yes. what that one is right. for me. That one's hiding under a it rock. It just looks like a terrarium. If he thought you had food, he'd come out. Or well, she. They're both females, apparently. Right. Um, and and the food. Last thing I'll say about this before everybody just turns off, turns the dial, is there's giant worms that I never noticed before. Mm. Just sort of. Yes, those are super worms. They call those. They are disgusting uh they kind of look like centipedes you know flipping around well and then when you feed them to the lizard they come out and they grab oh. it and they swallow it oh, in one God. gulp and you really feel the the essence of biology and evolution and, uh, and animals eating one oh, another God. it's it's amazing but speaking of food yes. um hey is hey. it what do you call a cheese festival in france what a fromage homage <laughs> that's pretty bad <laughs> that's oh. courtesy of uh, kyle Yes. And the Discord. Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> uh, it's super high-powered dad joke. Um, okay. What are you doing? I'm just getting my my timer. So, um, why do you need to know what time it is? I don't know. I'm just trying to. All right, keep it Can, to keep the show moving along. Yes. as we do. I am the producer in, in, at large. <laughs> not very large. <clears throat> no, it's small. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, two. love, and recovery. I'm not X. And I'm Mike. I don't get a last initial. Well, Mike R. Okay, thank you. You should be Mike X. I don't want to be Mike X. And boy, do we have a show for Mike you. X is a porn star. Today on RMA, it's the Cinco de Mayo RMA Spectacular. It's spring in New York and... <laughs> yes, it's Cinco de Mayo. Cinco! Wait. It's spring in New York. This is... Go ahead. Uh, Keep okay. going. It's spring... 
It's spring in New York, and the dopamine is pumping as the wonder twins of middle-aged recovery assemble once again in the deep, dark, and cavernous depths of Castle Grayskull Studios. Today, we tackle the age-old recovery saying, your best thinking got you here, and discuss why so many people living in... Um, weed legal states are still dying from alcohol-related causes. All what? this and more today on a very special Cinco de Mayo edition of RMA. Hey, of course you realize when people listen to this, it's going to be... Sixo de Mayo. Uh, yeah, Sixo or Seveno de Mayo. Right. Um, but anyway, happy Cinco de Mayo. Uh, <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, a holiday created by American beer companies. I just got my tequila here. Hold on. Contrary to popular belief, Cinco de Mayo does not mark Mexican independence. No? Rather, uh, well, that's in September, September 16th, if I remember correctly. Um, it actually commemorates the Battle of Puebla, which is a minor battle fought between the Mexican and the French armies in 1862. I see. I wonder who surrendered first. Um, (laughs) The widespread commercialization of Cinco de Mayo occurred during the 1980s and 90s. Beer companies in particular targeted Mexican-Americans, exhorting them to celebrate their heritage with Coronas, Bud Lights, and Dos Equis. And uh, apparently, not only do Mexicans in America celebrate it, but it's mostly celebrated by drunk college students. Yes, that's right. And just for the record, um, explanation point, Dos Equis means two X's. Yeah, it says it right on the bottle. Yes. Dos Equis. Making sure everyone um, two X's. You know, it's in, it is funny because somebody posted, you know, I belong to this Facebook travel group, uh, Tri-State Travel, mm-hmm. for travel tips and tricks. There's also a sober travel uh uh, Facebook group. Have you? I, jo- I joined that one because I was like, somebody said, go to sober travel thing. So I joined it. Mm. And I'm the only guy in there. It's all like, nice. It's all middle aged women. Oh, middle aged, yeah. Well, what's wrong with middle aged women? No, they're great. I love them. I too am a middle aged woman. I am also a middle aged woman. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hollow back to an old episode. Yes. Um, anyway, so, so this woman posted, like, I'm going to Cancun. I'm going to Cozumel. Uh, can anyone tell me where. I can go to celebrate, help celebrate Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. And everyone just piled on it. We're like, nobody celebrates Cinco de Mayo in Mexico. And like, do you need a reason to drink in Cozumel? It seems like there's no shortage. It's sort of like um, in Ireland, they don't really celebrate. According to my Irish neighbor, he says St. Paddy's Day. You know, because I said to him, oh, you must really love St. Paddy's Day because you're Irish. <laughs> and he's like, uh, no, no, that's an American holiday. And I said, oh. Really? Yeah, he's, nobody's praising that, him. That's surprising. We, dr- we get drunk every day, he said. Well, right. I guess that's true. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, this episode is brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. And I would like to thank our Patreon members, few in number as yes, they are. They were waiting. Um, for uh, supporting the podcast. We are a listener-supported recovery podcast, and everything that we do here is based uh, off of uh, the support that we get from you guys. Um, you are our mirror. We stare deep into your soul and mm. reflect it uh, back into these microphones every week. That's right. Uh, and a little bit of um, a donation or a little bit of scratch from you guys helps us keep the lights on and, and helps us keep producing the great content that you come here for. Yeah, it makes these me These jokes good. are not cheap. No. We, we have to spend lots of money on them. Lots so what is Patreon? Uh, it's a members-only subscription service. Mm-hmm. And the best part about the subscription service is once you sign up, Nat will send you the secret codes for the Discord uh, service, which is a private message chat and video meeting platform. Yeah, and it's very active on there. There's a lot of good support. And um, you could talk to me and Mike. You give us a hard time about the show. It's, it's a good time. Yeah. Or, you know, and or, you know we actually... Uh, jokes from our Patreon members like that one I just ripped off from Kyle, but I, yeah. g- I gave him credit for it. So, 
contribute to the uh, show. We, me, we get yes. so much. I was talking to somebody on on the Patreon about. Uh, they were saying something. They were like surprised or so, uh, that they heard something they wrote, mm. you know, in the group. And they said, "Listen, <laughs> we could not do this without you guys. Right. You know, you're half the show, if not more. Right? <laughs> Especially lately. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so go please. to Patreon.com/slash Recovery in the Middle Ages to learn more and to sign up. Um, I just wanted to say one thing. What's that? Welcome to all the monsters <laughs> listening thing. stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Where can they find us, Mike? They can find us at middleagesrecovery.com, our occasionally updated website. You can also locate the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, any place that you get your typical uh, weekly selection of podcasts. We're there. Mm-hmm. Come hang out with us. Come get show updates. Meet other monsters. Look at our funny memes, the latest news and views mm-hmm. on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hit us up on your socials. Smash that like button. <laughs> Getting this from your kids' yeah. YouTube peoples. Uh, <laughs> yes. It. We have uh, weekly RMA meetings chaired by uh, uh, Grant and Aaron, alternatively, and uh, David actually did one, didn't he? A couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah I think that's that was so awesome. great. I love to see that um, new monsters are, are getting involved, and um, it's really cool. And uh, uh, Grant posts a link to the, uh, the meeting every week on the Facebook page, but if you can't find it, it's often hard to find. Uh, just that's Facebook, not Grant's issue. Um, just give me a, drop me an email. Send me your digits, man. Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com for details. Yeah, speaking of Grant, I just wanted to recap our last show a little bit. I just wanted to, you know, say, wow, it was a lot of fun. That was all I wanted to say. Well, oh. I wasn't supposed to say that. I'm trying to remember what our last show was. <laughs> Take three with Oh, yes. Grant, Grant, Grant was awesome. It, uh, it having was him experiment, live, having, but it was yes. great. Having him live yep. in the studio is much better. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, I like the segment, but I like the interaction that we have better. Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> something that we were thinking about, and I'm just glad that he finally came out and said, you know what, guys? Can I just please come on? We could talk about it, and it'll be a lot more fun. And it was, so... That was really cool. We had a great time. Um, yeah, so if you haven't heard that show, go back and listen. Thank you, Grant. Um, so people occasionally leave us reviews, very occasionally lately, on the Apple Podcast app. Yes. Uh, but they also send us emails, and I believe that we got an email recently. Did we not? We did, and I've talked about some of my issues with our, our website redesign where I'm having trouble finding where the... Form submits. So I was digging around on our admin area. It's WordPress. That sounds um, so tech wonky. <laughs> and I found this one, uh, but I'm not sure if this was submitted on like the contact form or the. Ugh, it's such a mess. So in any case, this is one that I found. Um, it's from Kelly. And the message is, first of all, I'm still your biggest fan. Yay. You read my review on your podcast many months ago. Funny story about that I'll reveal later. I just listened to your 311.22 podcast. Two things stood out to me. First, Nat has PTSD while driving. Mm. Second, Mike does not get lots of emails. (laughs) That's true, too. (laughs) Since you are not getting lots of emails, I don't feel the least bit guilty for the length of this email. Kelly, thank you for taking up time uh, in the show. We we need all the content we can get. We need it. I'm just going to settle in and listen to you read it. Buckle up. Go ahead. Or saddle up. She says... Saddle up. Nat... 
I too had challenging PTSD from car accidents. Prior to age 16, I was the passenger in several very serious car accidents. Oof. This led to significant anxiety if I wasn't the person driving. Oh, yeah. If someone else is driving, I was constantly on high alert with a significant fight or flight response. Me too. This was a major issue in my marriage and led to numerous arguments. Three years ago, I participated in EMDR. One what session. does that stand for? Um, elliptical manufacturing driving response. Oh, right. Okay. No, I just yeah. made that up. Yeah. I have no idea. Um, she probably says it somewhere. EMDR was a kind of treatment with like light and yeah. electricity. Um, right. I remember hearing about this. Electricity, uh, I think. Uh, yeah. Or talking uh, about it on another show. Use the Google machine. Um, and it significantly reduced, almost eliminated the PTSD symptoms. That's interesting. As your biggest fan, I implore you to research to find a seasoned therapist with experience providing EMDR as a PTSD treatment. Ah, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing theory. I was close. This is something that we looked at when uh, Dimitri was having some issues a couple of years ago and we weren't quite sure if there was some heretofore un, you know, revealed mm-hmm. trauma that he was dealing with. And I, I found it very interesting to sort of, that, that like this whole thing with light therapy could really re- sort of reorder the way you respond to uh, stimuli, but I guess it makes sense. Anyway, huh. continue. She continues, this could be life-changing, and at the very least, it may provide lots of content for the podcast and Patreon members. Ooh, All right. I like yeah. the way she thinks. Uh, so, back to the funny story regarding my review. I've never left a review for any podcast, but felt that leaving a review was the least I could do to compensate you for the quality content you were providing. Oh, thank oh, you. God, just... If all of you would do that, Please, everybody... we would be on the front page of fucking Apple uh, <laughs> Podcasts, and then... And then what? It would be amazing. We would be on Oprah and it would be um, exciting. We'd be the new Gabor Mates. We could be at the Academy Awards and then I could go up and slap somebody. You could. Or we could go to the Met Gala and wear suits with shit written on them. Yeah, or just like raw meat into a suit. (laughs) That's been done. Right after I sent the review, I realized I had no idea if my actual name or email would be attached to the review. That kind of stressed me out. But of course... Life goes on and I forgot about it. That next Friday, I had a very stressful day at work. Before I left work, I thought to myself, I'd really enjoy a glass of red wine. Mm. At this point, I had over 180 days alcohol free. I was in a true internal tug of war. Finally, I said to myself, if Nat or Mike read my review on the podcast, that will be a sign from the universe not to drink tonight. No shit. Wow. So as I'm driving home, listening to your podcast, I hear Mike begin to read my review. I literally said out loud, motherfucker. (laughs) So being true to my word, I did not drink that night. Thank you. Uh, YBF, your biggest fan. By the way, Mike, thank you for the recommendation to listen to Bamblamoose. Yes. Uh, I love their music, but most of all, I love watching them on YouTube. Yes. When I watch them perform, I can feel their energy and that they truly love how everything comes together. I don't think anyone could watch them perform and not smile, giggle, or start dancing. (laughs) Kelly, wow, that is so cool. Thank you so much for for telling us that. Um, Sometimes we wonder... Does anybody listen to this? Do, Does anybody care? Yeah, does anyone care? Is it making a difference? And um, reading things like this uh, lets me know that you know we are helping somewhere. 
the uh, <clears throat> Pomplamoose is great, but the best part is like the guy who's like the head of Patreon, who created Patreon, started this band, Pomplamoose, right? And it's like him and his wife and a bunch of like session musicians and they get together and they do covers of all these crazy songs. But this guy, to watch him is hysterical because he's like, he's a skinny guy, he's got a beard and he's like, when he plays, he bobs up and down like he's a marionette on strings. It's uh, it's really great. And, <laughs> and the, it's great because you look at this guy and you're like, he's worth like a billion dollars and he doesn't give a shit about anything. You think he made a billion dollars on Patreon? I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars off patreon mm, yeah. no wonder Seems i think like he probably point. sold it by now but i don't really know yeah probably. anyway a shout out to uh Pomplamoose and maybe the patreon i'm just repositioning you know crawl, you keep you're always in motion i know it makes me very anxious is, i need some emdr to deal right. with your fucking movements i i know and anyone who's seen our video episodes knows that um, no 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 you're it's oh, actually not that bad I, i'm not trying to give you a complex about it i really am not i already have a complex well, story. in that case um <clears throat> let's mine it for t- content <laughs> and now it's time for monster speak what to blame it up to let's take a peek the segment we call monster speak 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 speak, speak. yes yes so I've just they speak re- now. They speak, but I just read a lot of stuff. So you want to read something? Sure. Um, Monster speak. Okay. So the overarching theme of this week's show is the statement, your best thinking got you here. Your best thinking got you here, idiot. That is a great impression of a Long Island AA. Yeah, this is guy. what you hear. <laughs> um, so it's, it's something that uh, oh, I guess you used to hear a lot in the rooms. Mm usually meaning that the thinking is bad, and since the thinking got you into the situation you were in, you should stop thinking entirely for yourself and let other people think for you. (laughs) Specifically, the group of people in the church basement, Bill W., Lois, perhaps Dr. Bob, and uh, that guy who just you just read in his voice. Take the cotton out of your ears and and stick it in your mouth. mouth. Right. So we... Well, you put out the question to the gang, what do you guys think about that sentiment? And I have to say, we got some very interesting responses. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And then they were kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. But what I like about our audience specifically that I don't like about other audiences, our audience is very good at thinking for themselves and they're very opinionated and they are very good at communicating. Yeah, they can write. You know, sometimes we read these and I'm like, yes. And what I love, I'm going to read Amy's because I, I love Amy. Amy, uh, was the one that reached out to me to get me to to do that thing for the lawyer um, the lawyer health mm-hmm. seminar, right? Oh, cool! So, and she's joined our little group. She's in our in our Patreon and everything, and nice. it's awesome. But anyway, um, what I love is Amy's first sentence. I'm not familiar with how it's used in AA, so I can't speak to the brainwashing. I love that somebody with sobriety without AA and AA never even enters the picture, right? right? But I do like the overall message that we should not necessarily trust our thoughts just because we think something does not make it true. I'm 50 years old and I didn't come to that realization until I was in my mid forties. I still have to remind myself often that thoughts are just thoughts and we don't really have much control over what pops into our head. That's also an extremely Buddhist way of thinking. Mm. They say that, you know how your pancreas secretes insulin, yeah. And that's it's an organ, and that's what it does. The thinking is that the brain is an organ, and its job is to secrete thoughts. Mm. And so you don't need to become attached to those thoughts. You can just sort of let them flow through your hands mm. and observe them, um, which will probably be more um, something that we discuss as we get deeper into the topic. But uh, I 
I agree with that. Yes. Um, you have to watch your thinking, but that doesn't mean to suspend your thinking. Yeah. Do you want to read Don's? Don A says, uh, this statement also reminds me that I can't do recovery by myself. We are sometimes blind to aspects of our thinking and behavior that compassionate others can help us see. Recovery communities can help us grow, whether it is 12-step or something else. That is true. Yeah. Um, it's like a Rorschach test. What is? Like some of these sayings. Like, yes. put the saying out there. Right. Like, feelings aren't facts or something like that. And depending on the person, you know, hearing it, they kind of make it mean what they need it to mean or what it, you know, it's kind of like that sometimes, I think. Yes. Um, a couple things I like in there. I can't do recovery by myself. Um, you you probably can, but it's probably not optimal. No. Support because is if, best. If you if you agree that you can't, then that statement is, is something self, you identify with, right? Is that right? a self-fulfilling prophecy, as they say? And why did this just... Sorry. Um, yeah. It'll, it'll yeah. come true. If you say can't right out of the gate, right. maybe you won't. So anyway, Ali says, uh, I've never been to AA. There's another one. I don't like the idea... I'm powerless, or that without working the steps, I'll fail. I would probably disagree with this statement in its proper context. However, I believe we all have blind spots. The conversations I've had with others in recovery helps me to identify my blind spots. Connection is the key. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm withholding my comments on this because I have a devil advocate, a devil's advocate view on this that I. On what? Just um, let's continue okay. reading. I'm waiting to pounce on this. Okay. Okay. Oh, you, um, yeah. Your turn. Um, right. The RMA wizard, the wizened one. And I wanted to just say that now I've heard, since we got into a little debate about how to pronounce wizened, I thought, I've heard it wizened several wizened times one. now. Yeah, it's the wizened one. I or, think. here's my thought on this. I bet you it's wizened in like England and I heard it somewhere on a British podcast and that's why I like it. That and like instead of whining, you whinge? Yeah, something like yeah. that. I think it's a, so somebody clear that up for me. Is it wizened or wizened or is it a regional thing? And what do you guys from Australia call it? <laughs> Just to sort of throw a curve in there. <laughs> anyway. So in any case, the wizened one, Alan B says, it was my worst thinking or best thinking I was capable of, capable of at the time. If I'm not better 40 years later or four, I have something else going on. I like that. This is one of those things that gets parroted in AA by people who've stopped thinking. Brilliant. Mm. I love being a heretic. Yes, thank you, Alan. And once again, you've said it all. Yeah, you shouldn't outsource your thinking to somebody else. No, but... Um, oh, we're going to have fun in a minute. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Um, Chase says, I disagree with the statement. Mm. I uh, knew what I was doing was wrong, but the addiction swayed me to do it anyway. It was not my best thinking. Mm. Yeah. It's not your best thinking that gets you there. Right. It's your shitty, crappy thinking. Right. Um, My best thinking is what's keeping me sober, helping to improve myself, making me a better husband and father. That's my best thinking. I knew the difference between right and wrong at four years old. Oh, really? But my illness swayed me to do wrong in order to feel right. That's another sort of Buddhist thing is that the conceptualization is you know right from wrong. It's like innate inside of you. You know what the right thing to do is, what the next right thing is. But hmm. your lens is 
cloudy and scratched. You need to clear the lens so you can clearly see what's right and what's not right. Yeah, I don't believe that human beings are intrinsically evil and, you know. No, original sin? No. Craziness. I don't buy it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, you're going to make me read this one, right, from Elizabeth? Why would you say that? Because it starts off with, I agree with Nat. (laughs) (laughs) Why, because I emboldened and underlined it? (laughs) That I could never, oh, I just read the other one. Why don't you read this one? Elizabeth says, Say it again. I agree with Nat <laughs> that I could never stop thinking for myself, especially when the alternative was a higher power or anything with religious overtones. But it seems like AA was the only option for so many years. Even when I first got sober in 2021, I thought AA was the only thing available for people like me, and I didn't want it. It was only when I discovered all the alternatives that seemed to pop up uh, a few years ago that I could get motivated. I do agree that some of my best thinking, I could moderate. I could alternate water with wine only on weekends, special occasions, beer and wine only, et cetera, et cetera. Got me where I was. Um, so hmm. that last sentence again without the parent parentheses was, I do agree that some of my best thinking got me where I was. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much. I agree with you that uh, you agree with me. Right. <laughs> Uh, so Maggie says, I think it's a little degrading and oversimplified, mm. the statement. Possibly. Yes. I agree with Maggie. I think individuals' thoughts are a lot more complex than that. Getting sober has been a process of listening to myself instead of stuffing down my feelings or second-guessing them. Yeah. I'm afraid this message would further confuse people about whether or not their thoughts and feelings are valid. Yeah. Trust yourself. See, I would, I would say... The exact opposite. I would say that you know how to heal yourself. And you can avail yourself of connections with other people. But ultimately, you know, I mean, because what, what's this whole thing we've been saying about how you are other people, right? There's no, yeah. there's no practical difference between you and other people. Mm-hmm. So then what's the difference between you healing yourself or other people helping to heal you? Mm. Good point. Is it? I don't know. I just pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Anyway, you're up. Uh, Maya, uh, Maya A. To me, this means that our thinking allowed us to talk ourselves into using, to rationalizing the bad decisions. As our thinkers become clearer from not using, we often need to reframe certain thoughts or learn new coping mechanisms. Yes, absolutely. Is our thinker our brain? Yeah. I think that's Um, what that means. To me, this means that our thinking allowed us to talk ourselves. Yeah, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Brad says, I have mixed feelings on this. On the one end, I don't love prescribing to the notion that my best thinking takes me to bad places, that using my own mental faculties got me nowhere positive. What? I think it's subscribing to the notion, even though it says prescribing. Subscribing. Sorry. He's thinking about, well, it says prescribing, but I think he meant to say, I don't love subscribing to the notion. I don't want to put words in anyone's Okay, go on. I'm nine months sober as of yesterday. Um, and I'd like to think my actual best thinking in action helped me get here with love and support from those I trust and care about to start and help with the journey. I don't take soul credit, and I don't, but I don't sell myself short because if I did, I'd have no faith in myself to continue to build towards a better future. What kind of vote of confidence in myself is that? What I take from this is that in active addiction, my thinking is completely shot. I have a dog who's incredibly sweet and generally well-behaved. 
<laughs> Lucky you. Uh, however, when she catches the scent of certain food, she hears nothing else, responds to nothing. All conventional training is gone. When I'm in the thick of or on the cusp of using and drinking, my judgment and thinking are similar. Gone. Out the window. It's almost like I am driving in the middle of a thick fog, deciding where to turn without realizing I can't see two feet in front of me. Using this metaphor, my thinking gets me to make wrong turns or crash. I should rely on others with a bird's eye view to guide me until I'm out of the fog and can see clearly, at which point I can steer again. Ding, ding. Okay. Also, acknowledging that the fog may come back, and my actual best thinking when it does is to recognize the fog is coming in, and then I'll need to rely on others again rather than what used to be my typical thought process. I can see fine. We're good. I got this. Yes. Okay, this is precisely why I didn't say anything, because I was waiting for someone else to say it. Okay. I think that's exactly kind of the point I was going to make, but let's read this last one before I... Yeah, go on. Go on. Chris M. says, I don't have much to add. Oh, okay, never mind. Anyway, moving on. Uh, (laughs) As I agree with much of what has been said here, I do see both sides of the sentiment as it relates to this topic. It makes me reflect on something I have heard you mention before on the pod more than a few times. An underlying foundation of lasting sobriety is simply knowing the damage that alcohol does, how it works in our systems, and how to interrupt that cycle. My best thinking didn't really include that at one point, and now it does. Once you know, you can't go back. Um... Yeah, so today on the show, on the main uh, section of the show, we are going to dive into this, um, Mm. your best thinking thing. So I will save, withhold most of my comments for that, but I just wanted to say that um, uh, mostly, I mean, everybody here makes great points, and they're very easy to agree with, and it's so easy from where I'm sitting now to say, my best thinking got me right here where I am. Look at me, thinking up a storm doing the right stuff with my thinker, and I'm so smart. Truth is, when I really go back to the time when I started to first hear people tell me that, your best thinking got you here. When I first started hearing that, it was what I I think, I think it was what I needed to hear at that moment. Mm. When I was in that acute stage of, just like, uh, I think it was Brad that said, yeah, you're in this fog. When I finally you know, stumbled into that first AA meeting, my brain had been hijacked by what my addiction, my cravings. So I was not myself. And so it it wasn't my best thinking. And that's the point. It really isn't your best thinking that gets you into these rooms and into recovery most times when you're like that. It's sort of, I stumbled into it. I had no other place to go. Pretty much all the decisions I had made for the previous five years up to that point had been awful you know, um, and so that's kind of the message, you know, because when you get somebody in, in the rooms at that point and you're trying to convince them to, you know, not seek drugs and to convince them to do the program, whatever program it is, you know, they're going to argue with you. You know, I'm dealing with this with a friend of mine's fiance is right now arguing, he, you know, he's slightly sober-ish, mm-hmm. like he's in a better place than he was two months ago, but he's still kind of battling it. He's finally in a program of a kind, in an outpatient program. And instead of just going with it and listening to them and following doctor's orders and listening to the therapist, he's doing his thinking. He's like, well, I don't know if I like the sound of that. And, you know, like the way that person talked to me and maybe that philosophy on recovery is... But really what he's doing mm. is he's trying to get himself out of being in that 
outpatient. Well, he's fucking around. And if he just sat there and did what they said for like, I don't know, three weeks instead of two, maybe he would start to get a clearer head, at which point he could then say with an actual best thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe, you know, what the therapist is saying doesn't really work for me. But when you're in that place, I feel like the best thing for him or for me at the time was to just go with what your doctors and therapists are telling you. Even though your addict brain can come up with all of these reasons why what they're saying is wrong. And, the, you know, the feeling I got in that group oh, didn't make me feel good, so I'm not going back. A lot of that is addict thinking, trying to do its best thinking to get you out of there so you can use again. Mm. So it's a little more complicated than I think it's laid out. Well, I mean, you can make a series of bad decisions, uh, you know, and you can see things in a non-clear way, but the solution to that is not necessarily to just shut up and listen to what people are telling you. I mean, you can... You can take advice from all different sources. And I think going to a therapist and ignoring what a therapist is telling you is a very different situation than going into an AA meeting and having somebody tell you to shut the fuck up and just listen to what the program's saying. Because there are some people whose personalities are not going to be able to accept someone telling them to shut the fuck up and just listen to what they're being told. Right, But, but, they, but you can get to the bottom of that no. with a therapist, with maybe some EMDR or whatever other kind of therapy to deal right. with the underlying trauma. But, you know, or you can get your, your medication prescribed, uh, your Suboxone or whatever it is. But, you know, this whole idea of, of, of tough love and of people basically trying to completely disassemble your self-esteem even further by telling you that you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and you just and you're such a fucking mess that you better listen to us or you're going to end up dead or on the street i mean i don't know i don't i don't think you need that to to recover i think there's plenty of different ways to skin that cat i mean it sounds really good to say that now but when i look back at the way i was and the other addicts man so then you're sort of advocating for tough love. A which, little bit in yeah. certain circumstances. I don't, I'm just, I'm trying to remember where I was at mentally and the struggles I was having with trying to do, you know, I'm not going to listen to them and arguing with the little, it didn't serve me. I mean, just because it you're addicted to something, it doesn't mean that you lose the right to, to contest what people are telling you is, should be your treatment. If it's, they're telling you you have to believe in fucking God and all this other shit that you don't believe in. Yeah. I don't know. I feel I mean, like I you don't get, lose your rights because you know it's very idealistic to think that way. But the reality of an acute substance use disorder, you really it, like it's from where we're sitting right now and we're thinking and discussing. It's very much like yeah, I have rights. I'm smart. I can. But man, when you are where some of us were. Uh, I don't know. I yeah, think but you interventions, need to shut interventions up and don't work, right? No. And so neither does somebody sitting there and telling you that you have to do this, that, and the other thing, and you shouldn't think about what you're doing. People I, only come to 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 get better when they want to, Ugh. and that's their best thinking that they want know. to go get better. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. think people. I don't think I'll just speak for myself. I don't. I don't know if if I had been given all the leeway that I wanted intellectually. I would have just taken it and kept using. I would have taken it, and that's what I did. Every inch I could get from whomever, any bit of benefit of the doubt, any like, hey, you make this decision. Why don't you do the right thing? I just, I never did the right thing. Mm. That's me. And I think a lot of people were like that, and 
I don't know. I think it's giving people in that situation a little too much. I don't know. I wish we had Evan Haynes back here because I yeah. because I know that that's not their approach, and they no. see, and they're very successful with this idea of of giving people like plenty of support, encouragement, listening to what they have to know. say, letting them. You know, I don't, all I'm saying is I under I get what the reason they do it is, whether or not it's the best thing. I don't know. I just can only speak for myself. But we well, are your moving success on. Success rate would would argue against that being the right way to do it. Well, look. By you... the power of recovery, <laughs> go on. I call on you, monsters. Speak. And that was monsters speak. That was. And moving on to the life update. Oh wow, we're <clears throat> just to the life update. Holy shit! Yeah, I told you it was going to be a, a three-hour show tonight. Um, one of the reasons I'm, uh, I was on my way here and I had just done the life update on the, um, on my outline and, uh, I completely forgot a major thing that happened and I did not remember it till I got into your dining room and your <laughs> wife asked me, she goes, Oh, um, and then Noah broke his hand or she, I said, <gasps> no, I yelled that out from the back. Oh, that was you. I because said, I didn't tell her and I thought she was going to be mad at me for not telling her. I completely forgot. Um, it, big news, but Noah broke his, you know, he fractured his hand. It was like a major annoying thing. And, um, (laughs) I mean, it's more for him probably. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's one of these kids where he's like, he feels validated. Maybe more for you actually. He feels validated that his hand was broken because on Sunday is when he broke it and he didn't do it doing anything interesting. He had finished biking. He was coming into the house and he tripped and fell, I guess, and stopped himself with his hands uh, on the patio. Classic. And it's just just uh, at the top of the palm under the forefinger, a fracture. Now, what, what bone did he fracture? It's like, that's where they, they showed me. It's oh, like yeah. here. Um, and uh, so what happened, though, was when he heard it, he, of course, came in. He was in pain. Oh, I'm in pain. And I said, oh. Suck it up, buttercup. Pretty much. That's <laughs> tough love, right? Mm. And I said, well, because. And how do you feel about that? Well, now I feel like an asshole. But at the time, I was like, you know, you think Excuse if me. it was broken, it would he would be screaming and crying. And he was just kind of like uncomfortable. So we moved on and woke up the next day. And he was complaining a little bit. Oh, I don't know if I can write. I'm like, oh, of course you can write. You just sprained your wrist. It's fine. Go to school. Goes to school Monday. <laughs> Tuesday morning. Now he's like so beside himself with pain and anguish. Oh, poor kid. Um, and what did I do? Suck it up. Go to school. I have to get to work. Are you kidding me? You've got to go to school. You're not getting out of school because you hurt your wrist. I went to school with two broken hands. You know, I did the whole thing. Right. So, and then finally he was so upset that I said, listen, get to school. And if it's that bad, you go straight to the nurse, have her call me. I'll come pick you up. Mm -hmm. I just want, I wanted to see if I could get him over that. Like once you're at school, you know, you want to say, I get a call 20 minutes later from the nurse. Mm. Uh, your son is here. I said, I know. Uh, you know, I think you have to get this hand checked out. Do you want to bring Tylenol? And I'm like, no, I don't want to bring Tylenol. I'm going to make a doctor's appointment. Right. We're going to call his bluff. This is the way I said. I'm like, I'm going to call his bluff. I went in, grabbed him, took him to the doctor. Dr. Greg's feeling. He goes, hmm. I said, uh, this has, uh, I think we need to get this x-rayed. And I said, no, come on. You're being <laughs> ridiculous. There's no way. So we get an x-ray, and uh, th- at this point, I go to work, leave him at home for my wife came home to take him. Long, short story, longer. 
<laughs> it's fractured. So he's got a fractured hand and he's got a brace and mm. the whole schmear and I'm a schmuck. No, listen, the kids will try and get over on you. All I've, the time. I made Ben run a 5K with pneumonia once. <laughs> Yeah, and I what, just didn't know, you know. Yeah, no, I said that he's like, I just realized I went biking with a broken hand. How cool is that? And I'm like, that's not really cool. So that that was a a major a major thing in my life. No, it was with a broken. hand. I wouldn't feel too bad about it. I mean, you know, every they try everything to get out of school. I mean, Ben had mysterious stomach aches. There were times, you know, and yeah. he, he sometimes has had problems like going to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Right, so he gets yeah. backed up for like a week. Right. He'd be so pissed if he knew what I was saying. <laughs> but so he, whenever he's like, I got a stomachache, I can't go to school. I'm like, just go take a shit. You'll be fine. And, uh, and, then, the, and then it turns out he's got like a norovirus or something. You yeah, know. But, yeah. You, know, what do you, you just don't know. What and, am I supposed and, to do? And, you know, if, that's why I explain to, to them all the time. The crying wolf, you know, it results in you having to go to school when you're really sick. Yeah. So. And, and that, that's Noah. My other son... He is, uh, he's like always doing the right thing. He's amazing, Max. Yeah. So if he, he told me. young I'd, enough. He doesn't know better yet. He doesn't know how to get over on you yet. I mean, <laughs> Noah kind of always had that. But yeah. yeah, so I felt awful about that. Um, but besides that, we went to this, um, the Cub Scouts. I did a Cub Scout thing. Hey. I know we don't have Cub Scouts the same age anymore. We don't anymore. have Cub Scouts in common. No, but my Cub Scout, uh, Max, they had this praying mantis um I don't know, learning extravaganza display thing. Hmm. But it took place at like Pine Lawn Cemetery, <laughs> which was really interesting. And um, it was really, really weird. You know, like I got the directions on the GPS. It's just so praying mantis, like a learning thing. They show you praying mantises. And at the cemetery? At, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it, you know, it's a huge sprawling. Yeah, it's my. It's, I think my parents are buried there. It looks like everybody's. I mean, it's huge. It's like a. It's military. It yeah, there is a military yeah. section of it, but it, it's this huge sprawling, um, you know, cemetery. And there's it's so big, kind of like Jones Beach. There's like a west exit, <laughs> west field, yeah, uh, west entrance yeah. one through three, right. east entrances. Right. People are dying to get in there. They are dying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and the, it's a grave undertaking yes and uh, it's a grave undertaking oh god and um wow it's really, wow fuck. there you, you go know, i'm i fucking oh, hate myself slow in the update. Right. so in any case i'm driving max there and i go into the wrong you know entrance because i'm not reading the directions properly finally i get there it's really a lot of fun though they show you the praying mantis wait hold on yeah you go to the cemetery. Yeah, I go what do in you the- do? You check in at the like where they bring in people's uh, coffins by, and they and they have a praying mantis show for the kids. Well, kind of. <laughs> what and the I fuck was, is that? I was kind of amazed by the whole thing because it is this beautiful grounds, and the, you know, the, it's also an hey, arboretum. But, but for the dead people, it would be pretty cool. Well, yeah. The, so there is kind of a morbid, you know, overhang. You know, you're sort of like this is great, but I'm you know in a cemetery. Um, but, uh, you know, and they sort of announced, uh, or I was reading some of the pap- you know, the papers that they handed out kind of saying, this is Pine Lawn Cemeteries, you know, um, it's something we're doing for the community to help bring awareness about, you know, life and, you know, and, but what I gathered from the, the little pamphlet, which I thought was interesting is, it's sort of like, it must be a marketing department or something at Pine Lawn <laughs> Cemetery. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to do these things for kids on the cemetery grounds to somehow make you associate, have positive associations 
with like cemeteries and <laughs> yeah. so when you leave you're like kids this place is great yeah if i drop dead in the next couple of weeks bring me back here that's a, i think that's what it is <laughs> that's some crazy fucking crafty and the other angle was deep state marketing yeah the other angle that i gathered from it was that it, the people who have a loved one buried there they will do things like this praying mantis event for kids and then so you can go there and you can experience the arboretum and also visit your loved ones. I didn't even know there was an arboretum. Yeah, it's it's a major. So that's a section without the bodies. The bodies seem to be everywhere. Okay, I, mean, I don't think you can avoid the bodies. Like even where we were, you could see the you know where it's they fucking crowded everywhere on Long Island. I, it's, <laughs> it's dead everywhere. or alive, and you're waiting on some kind of line. So it, it was cool. The kids had a blast um, at the cemetery, <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest fucking thing, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, any case, we ended up, and this is very dopey, the praying mantis thing. I don't know if, if anyone listens to dopey, but there's a whole praying mantis shtick. There's church with the praying mantis. <laughs> and, and any case, so it was very dopey. We got a praying mantis egg uh, oh. at the end of it. Each child got one to bring home. Oh, wow. And then they hatched two or 300 of these mantis creatures and then they take over your home that's what it seems like so um anyway max had a blast it was great to visit the cemetery with my child and uh wow i recommend that is a wow i don't know what's happened to leadership of that troop since (laughs) since we left but former eagle scout is our troop leader by the way actually you're always an eagle scout aren't you joe joe mama (laughs) joe what? Big man. I don't know who that is. Anyway, he's, oh, yeah, okay. he's the leader. All right. There it is. Uh, yeah, so that is that is some that is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. What about you? Did you go to any cemeteries and see anything? No. No. Oh. So, no, I went up to Bear Mountain last weekend, though. You um, know where that is? Yeah, vaguely. Yeah, I've it, been it's, there. Uh, it's like thirty miles away, or three and a half hours by car, <laughs> by car from Long Island. Um, it was just traffic the whole way, so. And we got a late start. We didn't leave till like noon. Wait, why were you at Bear Mountain? We went, because there's some great hiking uh, trails there. You have beautiful views of the Hudson. So you just took who? You took your kids. I took Jack, yeah. and Ben, right, and Aaron, right, and Rosie the dog, the one that barks a lot, the one that's very high strung and has a lot of energy. Isn't that yeah? The, we, right, because they because you, you can bring dogs to the state state park. Many state parks you cannot. This one you can. Huh. So. Um, right. That's fun. So after an excruciatingly long time sitting in traffic, we arrive, uh, we get out, we start walking up <laughs> the trail. The trail is um, almost, it's very steep, but it's like stairs because so many thousands and tens of thousands of people have gone up the side of this mountain since you know it was turned into a state park over the years that mm-hmm. they've basically hacked stairs into the side of it. So oh, you can cool. just walk up. 10 minutes up, I lose, we lose Ben and Aaron because neither one of them is, I guess, was really prepared for that level of physical engagement. Uh, oh. I mean, Aaron, you know, Aaron's, it doesn't get a lot of... Um, Where did you tell him you were going? Pine Lawn Cemetery? No, no, no. We oh. do, you know, but we got up to the first vista and it was very beautiful and, and very nice, but it only took like 15, 15 minutes to get up there. And then Ben was like, who spent basically the last two years sitting on the couch, you know, yeah. eating... Uh, snacks and, <laughs> and playing video games like it had enough okay. and Aaron also uh, you know just kind of tapped out and me and Jack are standing there looking at each other and uh, there was like a little waterfall up, up the way so I said uh, let's go we're gonna go explore that waterfall so 
we went up to the waterfall and then, you know, Jack is sort of cut from my cloth, you know, and we're like, I wonder if we can get to the top of it and get around the back. And so we start bushwhacking off the trail through. Nice. Yeah, it was great. Except we got way, we went way the wrong direction. We got lost. We had to come back. It took like 45 minutes to get back. And we had left Aaron and Ben sitting oh. down there waiting. And they and they were not in the best of moods. And we were they both on their iPhones burst out of like the woods. Angry you know? birds or something. Uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, it was, I felt... Uh, but I, I mean, you know, I didn't intend to get lost, but you know, they say it's not your intention. It's your, the effect. You right. Know? So well, that's um, like fun. Yes. Yeah, so, well, and then we went down and we walked around and Ben got an ice cream because, you, you know, he didn't have enough to <laughs> no. eat that day. And uh, then we got back in the car and took two and a half hours to get home. So, well, I, I think it's the, it's the thought that counts. We, we really did plan on having a nice day outside. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I wish I could get the dog my had family. A good time. Oh, the dog had a good time. The dog had a good time. I would like to organize family trips to hike somewhere, but um, you know what? No it's such just, luck. Yeah, it's everybody, tough, man. Yeah, everybody in my family wants to do something different. It's very hard for me to well, here organize. Too. I mean, you know, so, but I mean, everybody wanted to go outside because it was like the first nice day. Yeah, you know. Oh, and the weather's been so great. Oh, um, you know, you realize we're getting a storm for the next three days. It's oh, going to fucking sideways rain, fifty degrees. Uh, fucking hate the Northeast. Well, Ugh. anyway, we had a nice time. I went for a walk too. I took, you know, when we have these nice days, I come home and Max is my, my hiking buddy, but we don't really hike anywhere. We go for walks mm. and um, <clears throat> we play a game. I don't know if you talked about it. It's called swords and dragons. And we pretend to, you don't say, yeah. So we grab a stick and he makes up a whole story behind. Wow. Me. He's amazing. Cool. He's narrating it constantly. <clears throat> and I'll say something like, and I'm going to, you know, chop down this, you know, red dragon. And I'm just trying to play along, but he'll correct me and be like, mm. no, no, daddy, that's not a red dragon. <laughs> <clears throat> that's a silver dragon. And right. this one is our friend. So please don't. Sounds kill like him. you had a dungeon master there, like a <laughs> he, budding dungeon master. He is the dungeon master. Yeah. And, um, and so that was such a great time. But yeah, Max is hilarious. We, we have these, um, we have these, uh, stray cats, that we feed in our backyard. We've got um, right. four or five of them. Hocus Pocus, uh, Midnight, and we have Twittens, Mittens, <laughs> Vladimir. Jesus. And um, and then a couple of raccoons. So <laughs> You just sort of slip that in there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's nothing. There's like three raccoons. They come at night. Richard and Nixon. My kids <laughs> named them Richard and Nixon. I don't know why. I'm That's not a, good. Not I like a big it. Nixon family. but um, And so uh, my parents had come over to, to watch the kids for this. Uh, my, my wife and I went to see a stand-up comedian. And uh, all of a sudden, we see Midnight just like jump up, come down, and start batting something around. And uh, then we ran out to see what it was. He ran away. It was a robin. Mm. He murdered a robin in my backyard. But oh, dear. Max being- Take him to Pine Lawn? Yeah, we should have. <laughs> Almost. Max now has, an, he's such a compassionate soul. He wanted to give it a proper Christian burial. Oh. So we did. We had a service for it. And um, did Noah play the trumpet? Noah did not play the trumpet. He doesn't play along with this stuff as much as I'd like him to. He's a little <laughs> sarcastic about it. But the point of this was we were going out. I went on a double date wow. um, with uh, my wife and um, this other couple who's you know old friends of hers. Um, and uh, it, it was one of these things where we had tickets before the pandemic. Right. Rescheduled a few times. And it's two now. We didn't yes. even remember that we had it. We went to the Paramount in our favorite town to walk around yes. in and buy um, uh, CBD. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. And it was really cool um, to just be with another couple. 
Um, but it, it was a big like drinking thing. Oh. Um, but uh, the great thing was first we went out to dinner at uh, I think it was called Buenos Aires maybe. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Bocito. Bocito. Bocito is the greatest Mexican place. Yes, and they make the guacamole in front of you. And yeah. It's um and it's really great. Um and but the topic of drinking not drinking came up. Uh, interestingly, the um, the husband um, Brian is uh, he's in a wheel. He's a paraplegic, mm. and um, because partially because of this, he does he's become very healthy, right? Um, for a number of reasons, and part of his health uh, regimen means he doesn't drink. Ah. So he's he's very sober. And what's interesting is. You know, I guess he knew I was sober anyway. And when they came to take the drink order, <clears throat> of course, he orders a non-alcoholic drink and our wives order the alcoholic drinks. Mm-hmm. And then we got to talking about it. And um, and I've gotten myself to a point where I don't mince words at all. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, <laughs> but I don't pretend anything. I just, you know, I come right out with it. You know, I said, yeah, you know, I've been in recovery, you know, for almost five years. And I just, it doesn't do anything for me to drink anymore. And I, you know, we just were talking open. Yeah. And he was kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not in recovery, but um, I, you know, when I stopped drinking, you know, is the best thing I ever did. And mm. I don't know why anyone would drink. <laughs> and it's like, we kind of having the same conversation coming from completely different places. Yeah. yeah but and that's it, really cool. It, it was cool. And it's great to have a sober buddy at one of these, these things. Totally. Know? And, and it was just like, I don't know. It was the most open, honest conversation about my recovery and sobriety that I've ever, that I've had with someone I don't know that well, mm-hmm. who's not also in recovery. Right, right. And it's sort of like, I felt like I was bringing the conversation into like normal conversation. It's like, we're taking it out of the rooms, mm. out of the podcast and just bringing it to the dinner table. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And Nate, what the name of the, um, of the guy that we went to see, who's super fine. It was Nate, uh, Bargazzi. You may have seen a couple of his specials. He's 43 years old. He's, is he he's, funny? He's a clean comedian, so it's not a bunch oh, of like. Okay. He's very funny. You would like it because it, it's sort of it's not slow, but it's like it's it's really What's good. That mean? Well, it's not I would like, like it because it's slow. It's not like joke punchline. It's not like oh. um, Jim Gaffigan's like joke yeah, yeah, punchline, punch right. which I like. But yeah. it's yeah. this is a little more. You have to like listen a little bit, and it's a little sarcastic. It's a little subtle. Very funny. It was a lot of fun, and um, just to contrast the pre dinner. Uh, the pre-dinner, uh, I mean, sorry, the pre-show dinner, we were meeting up with my wife's other friend and her husband in this, uh, the special, you know, bar club underneath. It's this yeah, yeah. fancy, right. uh, I forget what it's called, but you have to be a member. Mm-hmm. It's, they want like 10 grand to get in for the year. It's to, like the golden know. circle or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so the reason we got in was because uh, my wife's friend uh, is a wine dealer. Or he's like the wine salesman who actually works with them. Oh, really? Yeah. So clearly, he's also not sober. Um, very nice chap. But um, you know, I we went to see them afterwards to hang out, and uh, I was literally, and I actually, I actually wrote on the inner sanctum like, "Oh, I'm at a bar, and I can't," you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we literally hung out in front of a bar, and it was, you know, they know I'm sober because they know a little bit about my history. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like, I don't know, I, st- I had fun and I felt safe, but it was more like, 
I, I didn't have, I didn't want to be there. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, you know. it's not as exciting. It's if, not if you're just, just, I mean, I, I circling back to, to your dinner, you know, um, what was the, what were the ladies reaction when you, you and your friend were talking? They were not paying attention to okay. us. Yeah. At all. No, they were going back right. and forth, talking, talking, talking. Um, and we were just kind of like, yeah. Cause I, I mean, why I, they drink. I always find myself when I'm in a situation like that, like that I don't want to proselytize about why everybody should stop drinking because that just makes me like a, yeah, a bore and nobody wants to hear it because they're out to have a good time. And they don't want to like, yeah, I just say for fucking me, temperance guy, like, yeah, you know, teetotal. Right. So, you know, I try to, you know, like when I go to the work conferences and stuff, you know, I just, I mention it, it comes up and then it, it gets dropped and never mentioned again because like, you know, what you're not going to belabor the point. Uh, even though I did start talking to that attorney, you know, but we mm. went off to the side and had that conversation. It was right. not around everybody like else. Yeah. I mean, not that it's a secret. It's just like, you don't want to offend the booze. Yeah. I don't want to exactly, you know, and, and you know, who am I to pass judgment on what people do to have a good time? You yeah. Know? I get I, that feeling too. Like when we were in the bar afterwards with the wine salesman, mm-hmm. like every time I had to turn down a drink and just like, I felt like, you know, it's probably all in my head, but I was feeling like I don't want them to think I'm judging them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Even though, you know, I do sometimes I know, judge. I know, <laughs> it's just an awkward... I can't help it because, because you know what it is? Having that, having my brain turned in that direction to where I see alcohol as a, as a, as a societal scourge and a thing that's going to eventually kill you if you drink it long enough, like that keeps me sober. So for me, that's like such a part of my sobriety that right. I cannot help but look at it that way. But I'm also like a human being and I'm polite and I, I'm not going to go and tell people they're fucking killing themselves because, you know, who knows that person a year down the road may think, you know, Oh, you know, mm. Mike isn't drinking. So, um, you know, maybe I should call him 56. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things and, and monsters out there. Tell, tell me, tell us, um, what your experiences are with this. I mean, I feel like everybody kind of experiences when, when you're getting sober or you're staying sober, you still want to fit in with the people who are also drinking, but you have this inner struggle with like, if they're really close to you and your friends, you yes. want to be like, save them. And yes. Like knock the right. beer out of exactly. their hand. You know exactly. what I mean? Um, uh, but obviously you can't uh, do that. But one Because thing, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. So I try and lead by example. And exactly. I encourage everybody out there to do this too. You know what's depressing though that I've noticed? Leading by example doesn't work all the time. No. It doesn't. Okay. Because they always say that the best parenting that you, that you can do is to set an example for your kids, by the way. You know, like you want them to eat vegetables, then you eat a lot of vegetables. Right. I've been eating vegetables for the last 17 fucking years, and my oldest son still will not put a piece Never. of fucking broccoli in his mouth. So, you know, it gets depressing after a while where you're continuously setting the example, and no one seems to be picking up on it. Well, I feel like with that stuff, it's the long con. Yes, the long Eventually, game. Eventually, yes. just like me with my father, um, you know, in my maturity, I guess, in my adulthood, I now think back on stuff the way my father behaved uh, and then do it now because it's in my head and that's the way mm. I want it to be. But for a long time, I was doing nothing but rebelling against that. So maybe just by doing it now, you're leading by example, it'll later on, they'll think back to, well, my dad was doing it this way. See, but other people, when they when they follow, start doing what their, their parents are doing, have to go through v- very expensive long-term therapy to stop yeah. doing it. 
because it's not the good example, you know? So I guess you're right. I guess what that tells me yeah. is that you, it is being transmitted. Yes. You know, and it's being stored in the subconscious. It's going to be pink. So you have to be very careful though about what you, how you lead by example, right? Yes. Same thing goes with the bad stuff. not drinking and how, and if you want to attract people to that, it's almost a fucking alternative lifestyle, right? It is. Um, if you want to attract people to that, you have to not be a dick. Right. <laughs> right. 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 They just want to see that, you know, wow, this guy, why is he so happy? Why does he not have so much energy? Why is he doing all of these things? You know, it's because I can and it's because I don't drink, you know, it's. I always felt though that when I was drinking and I was around sober people that I was being judged. And I think. I don't know if that was true. I'm sure there's it's like some being of around that. Christians. But a lot of that was also me, right? Mm-hmm. Me knowing that what I was doing was not what yes. I should be doing. So I was basically judging myself, but I was tra- I was laying it on them. Right. Saying, "Oh, look at that sanctimonious son of a bitch, you know." Yeah. Meanwhile, he's yeah. just like normal, you know. Not Right. But you're reading all the shit into it because your own brain is so yeah. whacked out. I think that too and and it's even come out some especially some of my friends who tried to get sober and then stopped getting sober and just went back to drinking. Just threw in know, the towel. They, um, <laughs> Enough of that. Yeah, yeah. and they're kind of like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And I feel like I'm being a dick by, you know, kind of still being like, no, I fucking hate drinking and I'm never doing it again. You know? Right. But it's all Or just by heads. your example, like people who are drinking and who have a, an issue with it, whether it's in their conscious mind or not, you're like a living example of how much better their lives could be. And that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, you know? I think so. And I know it worked when I was drinking and I'd see people who were yep. sober for years, you know, like, fuck that guy. Yeah, There's exactly. No really sober. Exactly. Even though, yeah. and, 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 and I, I really regret missing out on what could have been very deeper, much deeper friendships than I ended up having with some of these guys because they were sober for years, but they didn't want any part of what I was doing. No, you know? no. And I can't blame them. You know, now that I'm on the other side of the fence and I see what that's like, yeah, it's, it's rough. I yeah. don't know. Speaking of rough, I uh, understand you went back to work. <sighs> Yesterday was the first day I went to my office in New Jersey in over two years. So... um the morning commute was, so uh, it took me an hour and a half to get there in the morning because of just general traffic. And then I was like, all right. But it was really weird, Nat, because I, um, I walked into the lobby of the building, right? Mm-hmm. And they had done a renovation in the lobby, but not a lot. You know, like they changed like the, the tile on the floor and the color of the paint and they hung a couple of paintings up and then I walked into the little cafe and they, again, they'd made changes, but it wasn't a lot. And for a minute I thought like, am I asleep? You know how like you, when you, you dream and you walk into your house and everything's the same except for like a few things are like a little different. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Was it, it was your same, so weird, man. Is it your same desk? Did you like My leave? desk hadn't been touched it's since so I weird. left, which was very interesting um, because I came came back to some gifts that were waiting for me. Would you like to know what they are? You got gifts? Yes. People send me Christmas presents because of work that I dole out to various vendors and so so on. Uh, Most of it is wine. Wine. Yes. So I had four (laughs) bottles of wine waiting for me. I unwrapped them all and stacked them up there. And uh, and then someone else sent me a, um, uh, a soft cooler 
type backpack. Oh, cool. With a bottle opener attached to it. Oh. So uh, if I want to put a six pack of beer in there, I can do that and I will always have an opener. And it's got me thinking like, when did alcohol become like the currency of, of, of business? Like yeah. to the point where like, couldn't, could you send me some like cookies or something? <laughs> like, do you have yeah. to send me like a fucking backpack I can use for, for booze and then booze? They, people give teachers like wine and, and bus drivers. Yeah. Like, you know how we do gifts? Bus drivers. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. We used to hand the bus driver when I was a kid, we'd hand him a bottle of scotch. <laughs> Our parents would give us a bottle of scotch and say, give this to the bus driver. Uh, that guy needs some scotch. Yes. Because yeah. he's driving you children around. So he should have <laughs> 10 bottles of booze with him right before Christmas. Uh, it's, you know, that's his what, I don't know. It's just part it, of it freaks, society, I was just yeah. like, Ugh, whatever, man. But you know what? I had all the pictures of the kids up that I've had that I had up for years and I'm looking at them and now they're two years older wow. than, the, you know, and the whole thing was just a real mind fuck. You know, well, the only thing they did was they moved the cubicle walls higher so we couldn't, I don't know, spread COVID over a cub- cubicle wall. Oh, but uh, anyway, so I had an, it was actually kind of nice. Being in the office, I got I actually got a lot of work done um, because yeah, there were no do. distractions, and um, but it was good seeing my my some of my coworkers who I really uh, enjoy their company and appreciate them. Um, but then I had to go home, and there was a two tractor trailers crash on the George Washington yeah. Bridge, and it took me two hours and forty minutes to get home. Oy vey! So I re you know. And I know what I would have done three years ago after a two hour and 40 minute commute. I would have drained, sat in the kitchen and drained a bottle of wine, yep. felt really sorry for myself and then went to bed. But, um, but I actually hit it with, with equanimity, mm. right? During the whole drive, maybe it's because it was not like an everyday occurrence and the fact that I only have to go back to work two days a week like to suffer that commute. But I'm in a very different headspace than I was you know, back Two and a half years ago. Yeah, did you feel like when you, and this has happened to me recently, so I wondered if it's if it's going on with you where <clears throat> you find yourself in these scenarios like traffic and stressed and you're like, wow, this would be when typically mm. I would drink. and then, But you just don't. Yes. Or I, what I would have felt was incredible annoyance that I was going to be two hours late getting to, the, getting to my nightly wine bottle. Yeah. I, and, you know, I never actually pulled over on the way home. Yeah. You know, well, that's good. But <laughs> you're like, <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. But, it, you know, it's crossed my mind. But mostly it's because I'm driving through the Bronx and any place I'd pull yeah. over would be someplace I would either get killed or. I know. would just have something in the car waiting for Yeah. Me. I don't know. I, I just. Yeah. yeah. But you I don't know. Drink. So, I, you know, I got to go tomorrow. I got to go back, you know, and I'm assuming there's not going to be an overturned tractor trailer on the way home. And maybe it'll only take me an hour and a half to get home. We'll see. Right, and but, so and you're not going to drink because no. you don't. It it doesn't hold a place in your psyche that it used to. Which exactly is that shining bottle it, on the hill. It's not a. I don't see it as a stress reliever. Yeah. It's not like a reward for sitting in traffic for two hours. It would just make things worse. I would be more tired. I would be more irritable. And that's. I don't want that. Who wants that? No. No more lying to ourselves. No um, more lying to ourselves. The only last thing I wanted to say is tonight is the new Star Trek series, Brave New Worlds premiere. Why is this so special? Okay. Do you watch any of the new Star Trek I shows? Did you, have you watch Discovery. Discovery? I watched two and a half seasons. So you know Captain Pike? Yes. In the second season? Yeah. He got his own show. Really? So it's, it's basically Star Trek canon pre-Enterprise. It's Pike and Spock, Dr. Mabenga, a couple other people, Nurse Chapel. 
and number one, who are all in the pilot in the original Star Trek series, The Cage, uh. also The Menagerie, season one, parts one and two. Wow. Um, and and they gave Anson Mount, who plays Pike, the whole show. And it's very exciting because it's going to be like old Star Trek. So Pike wasn't the like annoying, uh, like, oh God, I, there was one of the captains they gave it to, I forget her name. She was awful and she ended up being like the bad guy and oh georgia yes yeah she was uh, like the she was the emperor from the alternative universe she could yes she could not get a line out remember last week you're like you wouldn't believe not just read that you know i liked her she's she can't <laughs> deliver her timing was awful i don't like disco i didn't like i didn't like the writing so much but no. this show i'm very excited for but but thankfully right. we don't live in 1968 anymore so if i miss it i can just go back and watch it tomorrow well I might get into that with you. I haven't watched Picard, but I'm looking for it. it I heard it was bad. If we're talking about new shows, and we do have to take a break and move on, um, there's a show I want everyone who loves great writing, science fiction, Kafka-esque stories. Wow. It, it is on Apple TV+, and it is called Severance. This yes, show I've heard of it. is brilliant. The writing is brilliant. The acting is brilliant the story it it's a it's like i said kafka-esque it's like really really good so i'll leave that there well severance so when i looked at a little bit of the the preview of it and i don't think this is giving anything away um basically the premise is that they give you some kind of a drug right it's like a sir it's an implant yeah that that separates completely your work life from your home life right just like they okay. do at area 51 now <laughs> you go in and you don't remember anything for the eight hours that you're at work. Wow. So while you're at work for eight hours, you don't know who you are. But when you're outside of work, you don't know who you are at work. So essentially, <laughs> wow. the you that's at work is like in hell. And there's all these little clues like like the, the girl's name who starts there, her name is Helly. And on the welcome, it's like, hello, Helly. It's just the word hell twice. It's just like, <laughs> I'm really reading into it, but it's just like, and she wants to leave, but the person on the outside like is really controlling you. Mm. So it's like separates your consciousness. Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. It's mystery. It's science fiction. It's drama. I am down. Watch I'm totally going to watch. And so let's, uh, let's take a short break. Should break. And be back after these words. Word. Nobody actually yeah. ever says any words. Okay. Yeah. Someday. And we're back. Get a little closer. I mean, I'll be on your lap, and then we will have completely crossed all boundaries associated with our relationship. We do have to set boundaries. Yes, we do. Okay, so um, we've reached that point of the show where we're going to talk about the main topic. What is the point? Of, what point have we reached? I don't know, but we're an hour and 11 minutes in. Well... And you know what? People are clamoring for longer shows. Yes. Well, the, the fans we do have... Like a long form uh, show, they just want to. Do they? Know, they want to settle into a discussion. They want to think along with us. And um, is that know. what we're doing? Yes, that's okay. what we're doing. Um, so uh, coming back, I feel like I'm a little distracted by this. You are because mm -hmm. you now have to stare at your face. I know, and I hate it. You see, you can see, like I have all this stress acne that is just 
being pronounced by these lights. You can't really see the stress out. It's like, uh, it's getting me, but it's fine because... It's all right. I'm, I'll be so anyway, uh, your best thinking got you into this shit, right? Yeah. So that quote is usually, before AA stole it and used it for its own nefarious purposes, that quote was actually attributed wrongly, as it turns out, to Albert Einstein. Uh-huh. Who supposedly said something like, you cannot solve a problem with the same thinking that caused it. Now, he was talking about how to think your way out of the possibility of nuclear war based mm. on the atomic shit that he'd been doing. People quote Einstein all the time, and it's so annoying. Yes, because most of the Repeating time- Repeating yourself, right. or doing the same thing. How many times have you heard someone go, doing the same thing over and over again is a definition of insanity. That's Albert also an Einstein. AA slogan. But, yeah, and they're always with that. And I'm like, enough. Well, I mean- Thinking outside the box, though, right? However cliche, um, it's often... I, so, I mean, I think what Einstein meant was that thinking outside the box is often necessary and it's an effective way um, to come up with new ideas and to fix problems, don't you think? I think that my favorite Einstein quote oh. is the following. Um, once you can accept... The universe as matter expanding into nothing that is something wearing stripes with plaid comes easy. He probably never said that either. Yeah, it, here's it's on the internet and even has his oh, name. It's on the internet. See, this is Google, and there he is. I just love that quote. Okay, sorry. The problem is when uh, when you when you put an injunction against thinking, as as we see in in the program mm-hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, when you elevate it to become an overriding doctrine, I think it's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's a cult, and that's one of the reasons people say this is a cult or you're in a cult. It's because that's what most cults are like. Mm, please stop yeah, thinking. They tell you what to think. <laughs> they said, "Don't, don't think. Do right. what we say." Except in AA and recovery, twelve step, they're doing it to save your life. Are they? I think they probably think they are. Maybe they are, but does does motivation matter? Um, I don't know. Intent isn't that something to do with the law? Well, doesn't intent matter? You you should have yes. I mean, intent matters, uh-huh. right? But um, if your intent is to get people sober, then maybe you should use the most effective, scientifically proven method to get there. Yeah. That would be something. I don't know. That's just me. Well, but when you're surrounded, when you're in a world where, you know, these programs are like the standard, this is what everybody goes to first. I mean, when I was really struggling, you know, this is long ago, let's say 18 years ago, when I first was like, maybe I have a cocaine problem, you know, Mm. maybe I should do something. This is... You know, the first thing I did was I looked for an, an AA meeting or an, a, an NA meeting. I remember well, they that. were the only game in town 18 well, that's, years ago. That's the thing. And that was before my mind was, you know, I don't want to say polluted by all this recovery stuff, but <laughs> before I knew all yeah. of this recovery stuff, you know, for the, the common person who is struggling, that's the first place you go to. It's the first thing that gets recommended to you. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that paradigm changing now? I'd like, like to is it, is it the so. first place now that people get sent to? I, or is the first thing that's done is you're evaluated by a doctor, you're given a therapist, maybe you're considered for medication? Um, I don't know. I mean, I was in a very different situation because it was um, legal. Um, and so the system 
I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I, I was, you know, before I had a, the DWI and I was compelled to to do recovery, um, I did have about a year and a half of trying to do it on my own before it was court mandated. And so I try and think back to that time and like, what was I doing? And, um, you know, I, I the first thing, I guess the first thing I did was I tried to get a, I'm thinking back now, was I did try and get a therapist to help me with it. I remember that. Right. But, I mean, really, it's it's 12-step. I mean, I believe, and I firmly believe, that you have an innate wisdom that you can tap into, that you can trust. Um, I mean, is my addiction sneaky? Is it conniving? Is it doing push-ups in the parking lot? <laughs> yes, but is it hard? Is it really hard to distinguish between the voice of your own inner wisdom and the voice of addiction? Rational recovery calls that the addiction voice recognition technique, ARVT, where anything, any thought that comes into your head that pushes you towards using is not you. It's the thing that makes you want to use. And that's a, a, a way to, if you want to shortcut your thinking, to me, that's a more effective way to do it than to wait for uh, God to take away your you know, so you think, stuff. so when somebody is in that state where you're trying to tell them, a loved one, a friend, that they've got a problem and they have all of these obvious things going wrong in their life, directly related to drinking or using drugs, and no matter what you say to them, they have some argument, some brilliant answer as to why what you're saying isn't right and the way they're doing it is gonna, is right, you know, you think deep down inside they actually know that no, they're wrong? Yes, I do. But I also think that, that maybe that's not the right question. Because you can't force someone to stop using drugs unless you put them in prison. And right? even then. Right. You can and boof even it. then. So boof it. You could boof it. Boof it. Right. But um, so why, when would that com- such, a, such a hypothetical conversation ever take place other than on like an episode of... Um, What's the one where they surprise everyone with a intervention? Intervention. intervention. I, I had these conversations when my family started trying to convince me to get sober. And were you ready to stop at that point? No. Uh, well, clearly I wasn't. So I had it, another so six years. But right. So it could have been AA. It could have been anybody. It, it, would, it wouldn't have mattered. I don't know. Maybe. It's so at that say. point, at that know. point, before you had that extra six-year run, right. if someone had dragged you into an A meeting and told you to shut up and just listen to what we're telling you, you would have been okay with that? You would have just accepted that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, like, I didn't, that's for sure. Um, I was arguing every which way that, you know, because I was in a spot where I'm like, I'm a functional addict. And, you know, my answer was, look, I'm paying my bills. I have my job. You know, what is the problem? I'm just having fun. Um, I'm not doing anything. Here's another one that we say. Hmm. I'm only hurting myself. I'm not hurting my right. wife. I'm not hurting my family. And so we say these things when we're in that state. We're just trying to protect our addiction. We don't want to do anything to change it because you're like so uh, possessed by this addiction that I don't know, unless you're like, you know, until I got like legally forced like almost physically to finally get sober, I still was fighting against it because the way I always looked at it was like, it's possession. Maybe it isn't you. Maybe the you that's deep down inside who knows right from wrong isn't in charge, isn't behind the wheel. Well, maybe, but so who had that theory that we were talking about with Evan about um, 
how it's it's a demon, right? Yeah, that so. that's why I really really like perked up when he said that. I'm like, yes, because you are not <laughs> aside from the obvious demon the fun demons. the fun demon shit. I love it, but you're not behind the wheel. So when you're looking into the eyes of, Jesus, of someone, take the Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> Satan has the wheel, <laughs> and so when you're looking at someone and you're asking them to do some real soul searching, some real thinking. It's not them behind their eyes right then. You're talking to the to an addiction right there. No, so how can you expect the addiction to do anything that would destroy it? Well, you look at the alternative theory that the, the demon is actually a protective demon and it's protecting you from whatever trauma you started using for him in the first place, right? So uh, That's not going to get you anywhere at that it, point. I don't know if it'll get you anywhere, but I mean, it sounds to me like mm-hmm. almost as if you're arguing for a more, um, I don't know, a more punitive measure. Like all, all these all these bills that are popping up in these different states about how, how we should be, you know, giving jail time to people rather than... Yeah, I mean, that's crazy, you know. Well, but is it? I mean, it it sort of seems like a logical conclusion to to your argument, though. Because, I mean, like, it doesn't matter if AA tells you to shut up and not listen, your therapist tells you, or or a cop tells you. If you're not ready, if if your brain is not in the place where you're receptive, Mm -hmm. you're just not going to stop anyway. It doesn't matter if it's AA yelling at you or somebody else. I don't know. I would like to hear from some people out there because there's got to be, I know there's people who who have been thrust into sobriety for a a number of different reasons, whether it's jail, whether it's, you know, going to um, some forced rehab where it forced them to sit there. And I've read some books. Jail usually doesn't get you sober, but it's an example of, being put in jail when you, let's say, in a situation where it isn't being boofed or smuggled in, you know, sometimes that is where people do finally get sober when they're locked up and they are forced to detox. Okay, so maybe maybe you're talking, maybe there's a small subset of people who have, who are that in that position where they where they're going to need to be completely removed, which to me, going to jail is basically pulling a geographic. That's how I see it. I mean, when you get out, unless you deal with the issues in there, when you get out, you're just going to run down the same same problems. Yeah. But, you know, because wherever you go, there you are, right? Mm. But, um, but I don't think for the majority of people that have drinking problems, I mean, and you know, I inhabit that other end of the continuum, right? The, the problematic drinking end. I've been on the side yeah. where you are, you know, all the, when I was running around in the Bronx with the crack. The I crack guess days. I was there too recently. It's like still, I think that's but I, everybody, but it's not. It's I mean, not the Annie Grace audience. I fought my way out of a crack addiction. Right. So, you know, to me, it's experiential, experiential to me that it, that it did work because, I mean, what about the argument that your best thinking got you into recovery? You know, and, and it's your yeah. your best thinking was that you just see. That's why I didn't want to bring the cookies because I've been staring at those cookies mm. like since we started talking, and I really wanted to grab one and eat it. And I'm like, I can't. But you can't eat on can't eat on camera. People don't want to see you chewing. Mm-hmm. What about people? What about people who have misphemia? Like, doesn't Aaron have that? Mm-hmm. So you well, you're far away from the I'm microphone. Trying to stay away okay. from the anyway, mic. anyway, my so, best thinking ate a cookie. I mean, the idea the idea to phone AA pops into your mind. If you disregard every thought that comes into your mind on the basis that it came into your mind, no. you would never go to AA, you'd never get a sponsor, and you'd never do the steps, right? Mm. I mean, I think the best people to talk to about addiction are, are people who encourage you to examine your own thinking. 
Mm. You know, critically. The mind, it turns out, is perfectly capable of assisting and healing itself, provided that sound principles and the guidance of others are used. Yes. I think. So maybe that is AA for some people. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, mean I know guys who've been sober 30 years in AA. And- well, that's the thing. You've, you've got that 5-10% that, like, it changed their lives, and they're changing... Five percent of other people's lives. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we're talking about real numbers here. You yeah, know? you know, and maybe that's enough. I mean, thinking alone is not going to achieve anything. Plenty of action to, is required, right? And certain types of thinking are certainly discouraged. For, for instance, the morbid reflection against which there is such a strong injunction in the big book. It sounds like it was written by a lawyer. Ruminating <laughs> on resentment and fear will not help either. There are also times when a I have had to take action blindly against my own best thinking because someone I trust suggests it as a solution to my problems. Did you write this or is this from? No, I pulled a lot of, a lot of stuff off the internet Uh um, that I'm not attributing because I'm only using like sentence here and a sentence there to sort of crystallize ideas. So my intent was not to to read it for the most part, but uh, just sort of point out different ways that people are people approach this that was my best thinking that made me just read that that's okay that's my best thinking your best thinking had you eat that cookie that's true um there's a popular misconception though that, <laughs> that I, I read about um and the, a popular misconception is the first step you hear this all the time i know this is good um first you know your first thing you have to do the first step is to admit you have a problem but in aa as most of us know the first step is actually uh to admit you're powerless over uh, alcohol and that your life had yes. become unmanageable. But, but, um, but apparently your best thinking is enough that you can keep the rest of your life together. At least this is the experience of people who are on the, the gray area drinking scale of things. The uh, functional addict. Functional alcoholic. It's very, you know, I kept my whole life together and it was just this one area. So, right, I, that kept you know. me using for a long time. I was hopping the uh, the Long Island Railroad to uh, Wall Street, where I was a chief marketing officer for this big company, and you know, I used to meet my dealer in the parking lot of what was it? I wanted to say Woolworths. No, they don't have Woolworths anymore in Manhattan. No, in uh, any case, in a supermarket, I was meeting. My dealer, and I would just make the train on time so I could get my fix. I wouldn't be sick, and I could get to the office. And to me, I'm like, I made it to the office. I've got this great job. Just because I met a dealer, this is just a business transaction. I'm fine. Let me ask you a question. You did not, during any of that running around, think to yourself, I should not be doing this. This is ridiculous. I always thought it, but I was So compelled. that's your best thinking. Yeah, Maybe. I see what you're saying. So, like, your worst well, thinking is the guy that met the dealer in the Woolworths parking lot. But who's doing that? It's well, it's, the they're demon. both you. It's the <laughs> That's demon. the thing. It's they're the both possession. you. It wasn't me. The sh- well, it okay. wasn't me. I mean, a demon is a good allegory for a, pro- I guess, for a protective part of your brain, right? I don't. I don't like to think of it as protective. I like to think of it as a demon. No, trying I think, to I think destroy of it as a, me as a guardian angel trying to protect you from a from a. A greater hurt. Guardian angel trying to get me to snort heroin before I go to my yeah. job every day? Yeah, because mm. that protects protects you from facing whatever it is that you were oh. trying not to face. I'm going to report that angel to HR <laughs> because <laughs> it is not what they should be doing. But um, understood, understood. 
I think we're getting we're getting somewhere with this. I'm not sure where, but we are getting somewhere. Thank God. I like this this uh, direction that you were taking here, talking about the steps, powerlessness. A lot of people, a lot of the monsters, bring up how they don't like to think of themselves as powerless. And and what is this powerlessness? And how dare you say I have no power? And if you take my power away, what do I really have? But I think I understand why. Uh, powerlessness is a theme in AA and why it's actually might be helpful when you first come into AA and that first step is you have to say, I don't got this. Mm. I don't have it. I am willing to accept a new way of moving forward. And that's what they're talking about. Or how about just, how about you teach me and I will, I will learn, but like every, every um, philosopher or religious figure in history worth his salt one of the things that they always say is test the teachings and decide for yourself if they're good or they're not good. And if they're not good, then jettison them. Because even in the serenity prayer, what you pray for is the wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference between the things you can change and the things you can't change. God, so grant me the serenity. So if you're, if you're praying for wisdom, that implies that you're going to use the discriminating mind I think your problem is you didn't spend a lot of time <laughs> with bottom basement addicts on probation for so many years like I did. These people, like, and, the, and I was one of those people, are not thinking on that I, level. I They're agree with you. Not. I did no not. There's no way you could get them to think like that. I spent that. five years smoking crack in the Bronx on an almost daily basis. So and I guarantee you that I knew what I was doing was fucked up the entire time. The entire time. And I did it anyway. And it wasn't until I was like, this is so fucked up that I need to stop that I stopped. If you got, let's say, hypothetically. I could have been arrested a hundred times. Let's say you got arrested. Let's say you were locked up for a month, unable to get drugs or anything. A forced sobriety. Don't you think you might have had a chance at the end of that because you got your head clear against your will that maybe then you could have your best thinking actually Um, making decisions like maybe there is a period of time for a certain level of acute addict where maybe the best thing is to you know 5150 get this person under medical supervision so they can't hurt themselves anymore and then you can start thinking about your id ego and whatever the hell else you know you you can't separate the rest of i mean you know i would never argue that someone who is um you know, just coming off of like years or decades of active addiction has their shit together, right? No. But it doesn't mean that you check your brain at the door when you go in for treatment. Now, the flip side of that is, I guess I could argue that if I, I don't need to know the basis behind cancer treatment if I'm being treated for cancer, right? I should just shut up and take the drug in my arm, right? Bingo. Okay. That's a great point. Except I don't side. believe in the disease model, so so I don't, I don't know how, how far you can carry that. But Well, but it's analogous, though. It is analogous. So so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I can give you a little on that. But I think that once you detox and spend some time getting your brain unfucked. Yes. You know, but I don't, I don't, I'm fair. I'm, so I'm you're extremely, I'm side. extremely hesitant and maybe for, you know, white men like us, it's not such a big deal, but I'm, I'm trying to think of like the, 
the implications of women coming into AA, mm. turning their will and, and everything over to the to the group or to the new, you know, they're, they're new. And then there's some guys like, yeah, you know, stick the cotton in your mouth. Just let's do everything I tell you to do, you know? And yeah. what, you know, what about that shit? I mean, that's, it's like a little, that's a little fucked up too. And, and it happens. We know what happens. Yeah. And I, I was reading your outline and your notes and I saw that come up <clears throat> and I was like, uh Oh, here we go. <laughs> He's headed towards the um, to this angle because this is a whole other ball of shit, um, and it completely changes the debate because it is a real issue. It is important to discuss, and it is a problem. Um, yeah, um, you know, and we did. I think we did an episode on it. Only one. We could probably do more about the thirteenth step. And yeah. And women, and um, I don't. I feel like we need to have Aaron on here to talk about this because I don't feel. Great speaking for women. Shouldn't we just mansplain the whole thing? But yeah, I don't. <laughs> I'm trying not to do mansplaining. Let's but, tell the women what we think right, of the problem. The women would love that to hear women what they have. Think. <laughs> but we're aware that this is a very tricky situation. We've seen it um, with women being preyed upon uh, in it, and so the the question that does this type of thinking that this cult, the culture of you know, um, you know, your stinking thinking, you know, uh, discouraging people from taking a positive action in their own lives with their own thinking, you know, don't have a relationship for a year, don't make any major changes, um, you know, because it, it's relevant, like according to this here, that, you know, because it undermines your personal agency, so you're making someone powerless. And that means what, you know, if they're powerless, they need to rely on someone or something. Well, you gotta you figure a young woman is coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the, you hear the following following statements, right? Your best thinking got you here. Uh, your thinking is alcoholic. You have a thinking problem, not a drinking problem. Uh, you need a checkup from the neck up. Uh, you know, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. I mean, it seems to me that that is designed to disassemble your self esteem even more. And I think the last thing that and <laughs> Here I am explaining what the last thing that women need. Yes, thank you. But Mike. you know, I don't. I think the last thing people need in general is to have their self esteem torn torn down, um, because Boy. then you open yourself up to the potential to be manipulated, to be abused. Right. You know, and not everybody in AA has your best interests at heart. Unfortunately, not any, anybody anywhere necessarily has. Yeah, the yeah. Best okay. AA is no different from you know the rest of the world, right? Right. But they are positioned to be helping people in powerless situations, and so you know it's incumbent upon them to try and mitigate those circumstances. But if you're you're saying that the entire premise of the program is like setting people up just to be taken advantage of. And I'm not saying, fail. I don't think I'm saying that. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of good intent, right? I think there is. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. I'm just saying. But there are other re- recovery programs that take a completely different approach. I would love to talk more about smart recovery, not just today, but yeah. I'd love to revisit it. Uh, and I think smart recovery is one of those Probably the main. There you go. They're probably the the biggest competitor. Would you say? I wouldn't use the word competitor. I think they're the biggest alternative. You know. I mean, yeah. Are people making money off this? I, you know. I think people are making money off of well, it, but that's AA rakes in millions of dollars a year. There you go. They're a competitor. Um, smart though is considered from the get go to be about self empowerment. The right? leopard gecko. 
from the <laughs> from the leopard get go. Um, <laughs> and, and you know the whole acronym of SMART is self management uh, and, and recovery training, right? Mm. Self management. Um, so participants work with volunteers in SMART to examine their own behavior to work out which ones require the most attention. So when a person is aware of the behavior that they need to work on. They learn to control their behaviors with techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational enhancement therapies. Cognitive behavioral therapy presupposes that there's some cognition that's going to go on. Uh huh. Right? I like cognition. Because not everybody is going to have the same problems. Mm. I mean, even though the outward manifestation of the problem is similar or the same, someone who's drinking, someone who's using substances to, um, as a palliative or, or something to, to deal with trauma or what have you. Right. But everybody is an individual. They come from different experiences, mm-hmm. you know, so maybe there's not a one size fits all approach that's appropriate, like 12 steps. Maybe each person needs a program designed for the issues that they're working with. I think yeah. this whole idea of reducing yeah. um, addiction to this thing that can just be treated in everybody the same way is just, maybe that's the wrong approach. I mean, but it's how we treat everything, isn't it? I mean, what what other disease or problem that people have is treated like different for everybody? I mean, well, this is the gene, way we handle gene things. therapy is becoming a huge thing, and wow. and gene therapy is is tailoring medication to your specific genome. I mean, it's the very have, basis of modern medicine. Well, that is the latest development. Yes, and so thank you for bringing that up. But that is true. I forgot about that. Yes, and it's very interesting. And and standard this this new cancer treatment. What Mike is talking about, I think, is that they do. It's really amazing. They're like treating the cancer specific to your genetic yes. makeup, and it's an amazing, brilliant development in modern science. That is, everybody does not have access to this, but it sounds amazing. But it's analogous to a recovery program. True. I mean, it is just a very new thing, but yes, that completely is. So in smart recovery, a person is taught self-empowerment and reliance on themselves as being the key to success. Participants are encouraged to discover and plan out their recovery path, Mm. and it shifts the locus of control to an internal position. What do you think about them apples? Well, I like those apples, and I propose an apple pie. Because, look, I'm in agreement. Uh, I loved smart recovery. This is where I get hung up on this stuff. It's all theoretically, yes. The same thing we said to Evan Haynes. It's like in theories here. It's, it's great. What a great idea. Every person who comes through our door, we are going to treat that person and their individual needs. And we're going to look at all of their <laughs> the little traumas they may or may not have had and the things they think and the type of music they listen to. And maybe this one likes to play guitar and this one likes to play with, you know, devil sticks. What's and wrong with that? Because it's absurd. There's too many people. It's too serious a problem. Lives are at stake, goddammit. Yes. And we have to stop it before they die. How do you do that? You stop them. Effective, lasting solutions you that work for the individual. Put it, you got to stop them. <laughs> you just, well, then you could lock them to a fucking wall and that'll yes, stop using. This is what I'm suggesting. <laughs> we have to take these people. What happened to compassionate care and, and, and unconditional positive regard and all that stuff that we were so into like a month ago? We can get to that later, but at first you got to stop them. <laughs> you just tie them up. 
But seriously, folks. I mean, anybody want to join our recovery program? That'll tie you to the wall for a month. Yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe feed you these cookies. I'm thinking of calling it the Phoenix House. Anything <laughs> that, um, no, but that that's that's where that goes. The problem with what I was just kind of sticking about is that it heads in an abusive and very damaging direction. And yes, of course. We should treat everybody's a snowflake and they're no, all No, that's not what I'm saying. We have to. But I agree with that. What, where I'm worried about is, uh, I'm worried about in practice, when you have this just like overflowing system of um, people who desperately need like help, they need a bed at uh, these rehabs. Yes, and maybe they should that's go- a different issue. But this is, that's the um, the triage, right? I mean, can you, can you solve addiction problems by solving the social issues that come along with like homelessness and poverty, you mm. could probably eliminate half of addiction if you could yeah. get rid of those problems. I love that. That's idea. not going to happen either. Let's do it. Can we? I don't know. I don't have enough money to get rid of poverty. Elon <laughs> I, Musk does, but he's off buying Twitter and shit. Yeah. It's just like, there's so many angles and listen, I feel like, I feel like if you can get somebody who is resistant to treatment, maybe this is why I always recommend to people you know, because I hear from people of all walks of life, all stripes, all levels of addiction and everything. And my, uh, what I say to almost all of them is get yourself to a hospital detox, you know, see a doctor. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's like the compassionate way to lock somebody up in a safe place with medical oversight. Yeah. So in a way, that's what I really want for people. It's a be in a hospital and be with doctors where you can't go meet your guy or hopefully not have heroin delivered. Get that treatment. And then in a couple of weeks, when you're sort of out of commission getting, you know, healing and detoxing, then then you can make a better decision about the treatment that you should or shouldn't have. Okay, sure. Because you're not doing much thinking at all when you're detoxing. No, and you, I think it must be done. And I think before you detox... Uh, that demon is behind the wheel and you cannot reason with Beelzebub. Right. But the proper place for someone who can't reason is not at an AA meeting when someone's telling them to put the cotton in their mouth. The place is in a detox where they're receiving medical treatment by medical providers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Okay, so I think we're coming to an agreement before we end this segment because we are... 150. Yeah, it's time I think we're going to come to an agreement and say that the best way to begin a kind of treatment like this is um, is to be in a doctor setting, in a supervised setting. You have to detox in a, a safe medical way. Well, it depends. I, I think mostly, like if you've got someone who's just like, I have too much, you know, I have a glass of champagne every day and... Uh, yeah, they don't, they don't I need I a detox. To no, they <laughs> just have, they need a punch no. in the back, you know. No, they need to. They those are the people that need the smart recovery, cognitive yes. behavioral therapy. But you know. for someone like the way I was, I feel like I ought, I could have been fifty one fifty, and maybe that's the thing, which means to be against your will to be in a hospital and to be force detoxed. I think uh, that's too much. No. No? We don't no. want to force detox. Well, let's well, fucking lie. Let's tie people to a table and electro- electrocute them and shit. <laughs> All right, you know? Maybe not force detox. But I think we're in agreement that, you know, a detox for someone, in, an acute sufferer who is really going through it. Yeah. Uh, a medical detox, at which time you may choose 
to go to AA and then reap the benefits of not, maybe not the specifics <laughs> of the program, but the community yes, and the okay, support sure. and all of that good stuff you get from AA that people get all the time uh, when they're not you know, doing the other stuff. You know where else people can find that support? If they join the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. It's uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And I think from there, we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going to move on. Yeah. To Recovery in the News. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Uh, so, recovery in the news comes from that uh, August publication, High Times Magazine. Oh, very good. Yes, uh, used to. Did you read High Times? Were I you ever didn't. Into, like, I so knew- into weed that you read High Times. I wasn't. I had friends that were though, and I. There, uh, for those of you, everybody knows High Times, right? But if you don't, it's a magazine dedicated to the appreciation of weed in all of its forms. They have like a centerfold. The centerfold is like, is bud. (laughs) Like, not boobs, but like it's a pot plant. That I remember. Anyway, I just stumbled across this story. Um, I had not even thought of High Times in the last 25 years, I didn't even know it still existed, but apparently they're doing some crackerjack journalism around the issues of, you know, legalization um, of cannabis uh, across a number of different states. Um, but um, the title of the article uh, is Why Are So Many Americans in Legal States Still Dying from Alcohol Related Causes? Right now, the old expression like if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail comes to mind. Yes, because it seems like the pot people here are like, if cannabis is legal, how come everybody's not switching to cannabis and just not drinking anymore? And I think it came as a bit of a shock to people who assumed that that was going to be the natural trajectory. Yeah, uh, that it actually hasn't really happened. Um, So. You know, it, yeah, it doesn't work that way. They they used the phrase "cannabis is safer than alcohol" because it was the it was the almost like the official slogan why the average stoner should be able to appreciate the same freedom as those who enjoy a stiff drink because cannabis is much is much safer. It's less risky, mm-hmm. and it, as they say, less risky than the sauce Americans pour down their gullets during sporting events, weekends, or any other day where it becomes absolutely imperative to either celebrate the good times or drown out the bad. Mm-hmm. But no matter how tightly the bottle is woven into the puke-stained fabric of civil society. Alcohol remains one of the most savage killers of any inebriating substance, legal or not. Beautiful. Nothing to argue with in that state. Who wrote this? I think he was high. I love it. (laughs) He was probably high. Beautifully written. Um, They go on to talk about how, you know, the, the alcohol... You know, kills a hundred thousand people a year through liver failure and cancer. Uh, meanwhile, as they say, the most horrendous consequence that the average cannabis fan might endure, at least as far as we can tell, is perhaps putting on a few extra pounds after stuffing their face with everything in the kitchen once the munchies kick in. But uh, anyway, how many people like die of marijuana-related illnesses every year? None. Is that true? There isn't even any statistically significant evidence that smoking. Flour uh, elevates your risk of cancer. Flour. Yes. I've heard people call call it flour. It's Apparently, a- marijuana is a derogatory term towards Mexicans, and I hate to yes. use it on Cinco de Mayo. That's what so. they say, cannabis. Yes, we're because use, it's Latin. We're going to use the word cannabis. 
henceforth. And in this, cannabinoids. Yes, cannabinoids, which no one can ever pronounce. But um, Cannabinoid. So, um, a legion of advocates claim that legalization may assist in pulling the great slobbering drunkard out of the nation's gutter of destitution and despair, ultimately putting them on the path of the straight and narrow. Mm. Uh so cannabis legalization for adults has taken hold across the country, right? How many states now have some sort of legal weed law? Like it's in, it's almost in the 30s, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of medical and recreational. But alcohol-related deaths and disease continue to climb, even in the states where uh, cannabis is legal or has been legal. Um, so... Um, it's not a natural... I, I happen to know a, a real-world scenario where there was a, a person struggling with alcohol addiction. They had a partner who was uh, a, mar- a cannabis enthusiast. And her, her uh, deal was she was like, stop drinking, just have a joint when you want to drink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it sounded like a great idea. It sounds like it could work. And what happened was he started drinking and smoking marijuana. Right. Well, uh, the, well apparently, so. according to, to some of the studies they were doing, that's what people end up doing. Yeah. They end up doing both. And it's become uh, an issue on the roads because, I don't know, driving high, you tend to drive like 20 miles an hour in the right-hand lane. Driving drunk, you tend to drive 80 miles an hour in the left-hand All lane. All over the and place. And if you're drunk and high, it's, it's a mess. You're it, in reverse in the wrong way. Yes. And Yeah. So, um, right. So there is, I, you know, I know people that have used cannabis to quit drinking. I used it myself, um, or I used the availability and the access. I gave myself permission to use it. If I, if it, if it was going to be a question between whether I would drink yeah. or not, yeah, and I, cannabis would help, then I gave myself permission to use cannabis. And you know, I think, I don't know if you could ever introduce cannabis as part of like a medical treatment for alcohol use disorder. Mm. But, um, you know, I think from, for people who are trying it out on their own, you know, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen is, well, I don't know. The worst it that could be bad. Well, the worst, <laughs> here's my fear. I do the same thing. I, I have given myself... Um, permission, just as you just mentioned, that uh, to smoke to smoke cannabis. I mean, I don't want to, and I yeah, most right. likely won't. Maybe I'll try uh, an edible for sleep at some point. I haven't decided to do that, and I'm not like I don't think about it. I'm not planning to do it. Are you having trouble sleeping? Oh yeah, I always have trouble sleeping. Yeah. I just I'm a bad sleeper, but it's one of those things, you know. I I don't think about it much, but. I'm not, I never say to myself, I would never do that, but I do have concerns because mm-hmm. I don't have any moral opposition to, to using cannabis and, and I don't know whether or not you're still sober if you do. I'm not even really concerned about that. I, 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 I think you're still in recovery. I don't know if you, I would consider myself sober. But like, I don't even care one way or the right, other. Do right. you know what I mean? Yes, where I, I used to, agree. I just don't care. But my problem with it for myself is I'm afraid that were I to go down that road, mm-hmm. it would cause me to say, well, I don't know. I feel like it might lower my inhibitions. Mm-hmm. It might get my thinking a little skewed. Mm. And if if it gets skewed enough where I take that drink, 
then, uh, you know, Katie bar the door, who knows? Would that be your best thinking or your or not so best? Be thinking? my marijuana induced. Oh, sorry, cannabis induced thinking. Not my best thinking. See, can I I'll be honest with you. I I have concerns about people who have previously had drugs as their drug of choice mm. using cannabis. Yeah. I think the risk is higher than someone who just drinks. Right, that's me. Cannabis. Like I'm I'm worried. Yeah. I don't want to go down. There's that a road. lot of people who drink a lot, but just don't really think like to go to the drugs. Right. They know? don't have that in them. Like yeah. I've got that. Like you too. I mean, you were there. I was there. I you was can there. get back to probably I, not because it was like a lifetime ago. I see I see cannabis in a totally different place than I see um, other drugs. I just, to yeah. me, it, it's completely different. But, I agree. But anyway, I think I, I'm, I'm not, that, you know, yeah. we're not encouraging anybody no, 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 to no. use cannabis. This is just for know. us. And um, my final decision for today is I will not use cannabis, but right. I, I'm not really that opposed to it. I, I don't uh, see I don't the use know. case for it in my life at the moment. Yeah. Things are like, it's like adding something extra that I don't, I wouldn't want. Like I could have, apparently I could have gotten THC gummies at that store. That, yeah, get that, them in the cabin upstairs. Yeah, but I like <laughs> It doesn't excite me. Yeah, I no, doesn't, no interest in taking I'll never, it. I won't think about it again until next show, you know. But in any case, yeah, that's yeah, uh, yeah. Recovering the News. Slate. Yeah. Um, as you can tell, I'm a little more relaxed. I'm not like rushing to get out of here because I'm having fun. And my family doesn't need me because uh, Noah... <laughs> What? Yeah, they don't care if I ever come home tonight. <laughs> Noah's got, um, what is he doing? Maybe you should take my gummies. You, I should take your gummies. Have a great night. Noah's got something tonight. Oh, he's going with a friend to see a movie. Uh, Multiverse of Madness by uh, Marvel. Don't know anything about that. Marvel. Superhero stuff. Right? Superhero. Yeah. Doctor Strange. I don't do the superhero. Really? Yeah, it's, huh. they're all the same. Yeah, mostly. Anyway. So he's doing that, and my younger son, Max, has got a baseball game. Nice. And he's my little sports guy. He's doing so many sports. Cool. And did I say we're going to SmackDown this yeah. week? No, I didn't know it was this week. Oh, I got to mention this because our life update was going on too long. For his eighth birthday, uh, which I talked about, he got tickets to Friday Night SmackDown. Oh, so the, the first WWE. This Friday? Friday. And uh, it's going to be a TV taping, and uh, we're going together at Nassau Coliseum. It's at Nassau Coliseum. And my wife got us, like, almost front row. Like, we're going to be, like, eye level with the shorter ones. You know, these guys are at six, but he's going to be so excited. He's making signs. I'm very excited, as you can tell. Yes, you seem very excited. Looking forward to it. Yeah, that's my latest um, uh, degradation of uh, my uh, maturity is just... That's all right. WWE. Maturity's overrated. <laughs> Weak and weird. Uh, dead woman brings funeral to halt by banging on inside of casket for help. <laughs> Does this take place in America? Peru. <laughs> right, by Tim Banal. Okay. Mourners at a funeral in Peru were astounded when the woman being astounded. laid to rest at the service, suddenly began began banging on the inside of her casket in a frantic attempt to reveal that she was still alive. It's at the Pine Lawn Cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> the shocking scene reportedly unfolded late last month in the city of 
Chiclayo after Rosa mm. Rosa Isabel Cespedes. Calaca. Wow, that's a big Kayaka. name. Kayaka. Kayaka. Rosa Isabel Cespedes Kayaka. Had been involved in a terrible car crash that took the life of her brother-in-law and left her three children badly injured. Oh, dear. Uh, at, that's not funny. Why would you laugh? At I the time of the you, accident. You left. <laughs> at the time of the oh, accident. Yes. You are blaming it on me. I was. I, Doctors believed that she had also perished in the tragic event, <laughs> and her family subsequently set about burying Calica the following day at the funeral. How does that, that happen in this, in this day and age? I don't know. Uh, that won't soon be forgotten. As her family... Uh, as her family and a sizable crowd of friends were paying respects... To their departed loved one, they were taken aback when they began hearing a banging sound coming from the casket. Hola, it, hola, hola, señor. <laughs> insisting, I am here. <laughs> insisting that something was amiss, they demanded that the funeral director open the closed coffin, which is when they discovered that the dead woman had opened her eyes and was actually still alive, although in a very weakened state. <laughs> Calico was then rushed to a hospital and placed on life support until, sadly, she passed away. What? A short time later. <laughs> wow. I didn't see that one coming. Understandably outraged by the oversight, her family is now demanding answers from the hospital where she had been declared dead. <laughs> uh, particularly troubling to them is that, based on what occurred at her funeral, it would seem that Calica had actually slipped into a coma following the car accident. No. And that doctors may have been able to save her when they realized this before them Ooh. making the misjudgment. I smell a lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, did they have lawyers in Peru? Mucho dinero. Mucho dinero. They indicated that they will ev- even exhume her body if it will allow for some clarification as to the exact Well, she's probably policy. dead now. Yeah, well, she is dead. Did you know that in the Middle so, Ages... We can wait. Um, the bell? Yes. They would put bells next to the uh, next to the headstone. So if you, they accidentally buried you alive, there would be a chain running from the bell inside the casket. Yeah, it's And then very all the bad cool. kids in the village would walk around and undo the, yeah. <laughs> undo the chains. Yeah, I, I just watched a documentary, uh, or I have watched one about you know being buried alive, and that was one of those things. And there's actually an expression that's tied to that with the bell, and I forget what it is, for whom the bell tolls maybe. Oh, shit. No, I don't think that's it's, it. There is one. I can't think of it now, but monsters, if you're it's, out there. It's, but, you know, they, when they exhume uh, bodies from the Middle Ages, a not insignificant number of coffins on the inside show the clawing of people being buried yeah. alive. Yeah, the, fucking uh, on terrifying. the inside of yes. it. Yeah, you can see the nails. Ugh. Well, they didn't have proper medicine. I mean, I guess they didn't have a mirror Listen, to hold up to the nose. Before you put me in the ground, I, if you think I'm, I might... Be dead or alive. Just hit me in the head with a hammer. Just yeah, something. <laughs> I, I don't want to wake up in the fucking coffin. Yeah. Anyway, the weak and weird. Weak and weird. Duh. Okay. Well, Are thank we done? you so much, guys. That about does it for today. I know I had a great time. Did you? It was. It was wonderful. Really. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and Twitter. So, Tweety Satwat, you twit. Support your favorite show. Please, guys, drop a five-star review on five. Apple Podcasts, please. Um, buy a T-shirt. Join the Facebook group. No um, one's ever buying a T-shirt. I know. And if they, maybe they are, we and the website's not working. We should make a quilt out of them. I, That's a brilliant idea. Except it's the quilt that would look the same, because they're all, well... 
Slightly might be different. cool. Join yeah. the Inner Sanctum, guys. Um, we have a Patreon subscription service where you get this video will be on there. We have several other videos. The best part is you get a mug if you are Golden That's Circle. That's the best part. Or Friar Tuck. You get this awesome. <laughs> People are psyched to get these mugs. Um, we got Did a Liz lot ever of, get her mug? I think. I have to ask her. <laughs> and um, people, we're just having a great time. We're supporting each other's recovery. Um, and if you want to just talk to us for God knows why, we're on there. So Yeah, we'll talk to anybody. Um, Patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages. And um, finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you have friends, share this <laughs> with them. If you don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do the social media thing. Tweet us. Tweet us. Uh, tweet. Facebook. Facebook. Uh, Instacart. Do all that stuff. If you Instagram. get something, Instagram. If you, Instagram. If you get something out of our show, help grow the RMA movement and share the love. And as we say, non proficiat perfect. That's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good.